All right, weird question. Get ready to answer it down in the comments. What is your favorite candy? Go ahead, drop that down in the bottom. Let us know what your favorite candy is. Maybe Josh will deliver you some candy. Who knows? Maybe. He just found out about that. Uh, my favorite candy is gummy worms and gummy bears. Pretty much anything that is gummy. That's what I uh, like. I don't really love chocolate. Uh, I've never been a chocolate guy, but gum, anything gummy, you give it to me. I don't care if it's like a foot-long worm or something like that. Uh, I love it so much, in fact, that one time I ate way too many gummy vitamins just because they were tasted good, and I started to smell super weird. I, I guess the vitamins started to come out through my pores and through my, my sweat, and it just smelled terrible. Uh, and that was not like when I was a kid. That was like five years ago. Uh, we all have our favorite things, but today what we're going to look at in God's Word is favoritism. So far in the book of James, he's taught us to persevere through troubles. He taught us to resist temptation and to make sure that uh, we're more than just hearers, but we're doers. Our faith has to change us. We don't work for our salvation, but our salvation should work. Hopefully over the last week, you've taken the opportunity to act out and act on what the Bible has taught you. Because spiritual uh, knowledge without action is worthless. I hope you're reading through the book of James. It's only five chapters. By this time, you probably could have read through it two or three times. But there's so much wisdom in this book. In only five chapters, there's so much that he has taught us. Let's go ahead and jump into chapter 2 of James. And he's going to address some things that we all struggle with, which is namely favoritism and partiality. We don't take this sin of favoritism as seriously as God takes it. We like to think of ourselves as people that have no partiality and we treat everyone equally and fairly. We're absolutely just. But if we're honest, we know that that isn't true. And even as a pastor, I gravitate towards the people that are easy for me to talk to. If you like football or you like video games or you like basketball or, or, or something like that, or even you like to talk theology, those are easier for me to talk to. And sometimes I gravitate toward uh, those type of people. I don't like the feeling of, of not having anything to say and I've not been great at small talk ever. You're pretty much always going to realize, and if you go back and think about this, you'll probably know it's true. I'm going to lean on, if I don't know what to say, I'm going to say, hey, you know, what do you think about this weather lately? It's pretty weird, huh? I'm going to bring that up because I don't like small talk. It's not natural for me. And so sometimes that means I gravitate towards people that are easy for me to talk to. And that's not a great thing. I'm sorry I've not always been uh, the best in that area. But I think we realize we all probably do that. And we all fall short and gravitate towards the people that we uh, feel more comfortable with and we feel like we have things in common. Now, it's not a sin to like some people more than others, but it is a sin when we determine people's worth because of popularity, power, or riches. When we begin to discount people's worth as if they are less, as if they are worth less. James 2.1, my brothers, James is telling him, he's talking to Christians here. He says, Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be careful to view people through the lens of humanity and not through the lens 
of materialism. What we have doesn't determine our value. And you might ask, well, where do you get that? In the next verse, it's going to talk about that specifically. Our faith should inform how we interact with people. It should affect how we interact with people. It should change who we care about and who we uh, interact with. Verse 2, it says, For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, imagine this, you're all sitting here, we're back in in-person service for a second in our imagination, and there in the back comes a man, and he is decked out in the finest, uh, he's, the, he's a, a local hero, he is the man, Right? But then another guy comes in behind him, and he's poor, and he's in shabby clothing. Verse 3 says, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and says, hey, you sit here, sit up here in this row. Let me move this uh, other person out of the row that's not as important. Let me let you sit here. You're the important one. You sit here in the good place while you say to the Poor man, hey, uh, I think there's some room over there. Go stand in the corner. Or here, hey, there's room down here on the floor. What does that mean when we treat people that way? It tells us. It says, have you not then made distinctions among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? If you treat wealthy people better than people in poverty, then you have made a distinction about what you believe gives people value. What you believe makes people important. We shouldn't arrange people according to their importance, no matter what the parameters. God forbid that we should tell someone to sit on the floor based on their lack of wealth. We shouldn't arrange people. There's some churches in big cities, they've actually kind of gotten in trouble for it lately, but there's some churches in big cities that save the front couple rows for celebrities. I'm not trying to harp on another church too bad, but that is a great example of what not to do as a church. To put the people in the front that are more desirable as if people would be impressed. And we differentiate and we put parameters around people. These are the important people and these are the ones that we want to hide in the corner somewhere. We need to be careful as a church not to show favoritism to people because of their success or because of power. Verse 4 says, when we make these types of distinctions between people, then we become judges of their worth. And who are we to judge the value of a person? This is more, person's more important because of what they have, or this person's less important because they lack in some way. That's this type of favoritism or partiality has no place in the Christian life. God doesn't want any part of that. And you can tell that by the life of Jesus, right? He didn't go and walk into the palaces to start ministry. He went to the places that nobody else wanted to go, to the people that no one else cared about. And, the, and even the elitist people would look at Jesus and w- at who he ate with and who he associated with and said, hey, if he's really the king uh, of the Jews, if he's really the Messiah, then why is he eating with those type of people? Because Jesus is different than any other king. Jesus is different than any other leader. He said, I value people, not what they have. 
Our world is quick to treat the rich differently or the the famous differently or the beautiful differently and give them special treatment. And we act as if wealth is automatically a sign of good moral character. Think to yourself about that. You most likely, when you think about someone that has money that you know, automatically you think that means that they're a pretty good person. That Maybe they're shrewd in their business, but they got there because they know what's up. And they have good character. But that's not always a good barometer. In the next verse, James says, if anything, we should be doing the opposite, holding the less fortunate in higher esteem. Verse 5, he said, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in the faith and heirs of his kingdom? See, many times the people that are the quickest to follow God are the ones that have the least to hold on to. The ones that are desperate, the ones that can't turn to anyone else and they realize that I can't do this on my own. Financial success does not equate to spirituality. In fact, the Bible goes on to say in Matthew 19, 23, that it's hard for a rich person to get to heaven. It's hard for a rich person to get saved. Why? Is it because... Uh, money is evil? No, it's because they put their faith in their resources. And they're, they're filled with pride, too filled with pride to bow and surrender before God. Money's not evil, but the love and worship of money is. Remember that rich young ruler, right, who asked Jesus how to be saved. Jesus told him to sell his possessions. Now, would that save him? No. But Jesus knew that where that man put his faith, his faith was in what he had. And that rich young ruler turned around and went home. We never hear from him again. Who knows what happened to him? Verse 6 says, but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones those who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? He says, look, James says to these people, look, the poor people are not the ones that are treating you bad. Isn't it the rich and the greedy that take advantage of you and oppress you? Isn't it them that take you to court? Isn't it them that mock and make fun of your God and curse him? Verse 8. If you really fill, uh, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Once again, it comes back, as it almost always does, to two things love God and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the love command. If you want to know what a Christian is supposed to do, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And if you're showing partiality, you're not loving your neighbor as yourself. It's pushing us to think, uh, when we think of our needs, to think of their needs. And when I'm hungry, to think about whether someone else is hungry. And when I'm in pain, to think about whether someone else is in pain. Someone said that how we walk 
with the broken speaks louder than how we sit with the great. Love them like you love yourself. Verse 9 says, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. Favoritism is this unfair practice of treating some people better than others. And it's okay to have best friends. It's okay to get along with people that you have more in common with. But it becomes sin when you treat them as if they are more valuable than other people. But if we're truly loving people and loving our neighbor as much as we love ourselves, then we will put ourselves in their shoes. That's called empathy. Your pain in my heart. I'm going to feel your pain, not because it gives me something and not because, uh, you know, you do something for me, but simply because you are a person and you are created by God, made after the image of God. And I'm going to put your pain in my heart and bear it for a little while and then act on that. We need to be people of empathy. Wondering to ourselves, oh, I wonder, uh, you know, how she feels sitting by herself. I wonder what he is thinking coming into our church for the first time. I wonder if that person over there is lonely. How would I feel if I was ignored? How would I feel if no one cared about me enough to learn my name? How would I feel if I missed a few weeks of church and no one ever followed up on me? They were quick to do those and think about those things about ourselves. But we're not quick to think of those things about other people. What if I stopped only paying attention to the people that could offer me something? The Bible says when we make distinctions between people that are worth our time and people that aren't, that we are sinning. What if we put our needs to the side and look for someone else that needs a little bit of attention, the one who feels lonely, the one who needs to be encouraged, the one who needs to be shown love? What if I looked at people like Jesus looked at them? Jesus knew the whole deal throughout his ministry. He knew where his ministry was leading. It was leading to the cross. And if anyone had an excuse to want to think about himself for a little while, the one that uh, you know, needed to uh, feel bad and, 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 and throw a pity party, it could be Jesus, right? But his whole ministry was about others and thinking about other people. What if we looked at people like Jesus would? What if our whole life became a ministry of love to the people that needed a little bit of attention? So how about you? Do you have people in your life that you're encouraging? Not the people that do something back for you, but someone that you reach out to that will never be able to pay you back. Who are you reaching out to that you're loving? Not because of who they are because they're important and you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. Not any of that. But simply because this person is a child of God made in the image of God. And simply because that person is a person that could use your help and because you could make a difference. 
Love the people God puts around you like you love yourself. Verse 12 says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. This is, starts where it gets a little bit heavy here. He says, look, what if we spoke and acted as if we were literally, literally be judged today for the actions that I did today? What if we acted as if we had to stand before God and to give an account for what I did in that day? How did I help someone? How did I resist temptation? Did I make a difference today? Did I make an impact? Did I help someone today? This next verse is scary. You ready for it? Verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. He's telling us here that it's not the rich that are going to judge us, right? But God himself. And showing mercy is what the love command requires of us. But he says, look, we show mercy to people because we would want mercy. Luke 6.36 says, be merciful just as your father is merciful. See, people that don't show mercy will be judged without mercy. That's the scary part, right? What does that mean practically for you? I don't know. But it doesn't sound good. And I don't want to put myself in that position. And there's some other Bible verses that give us the very same idea. In Proverbs 21, 13, it says, Whosoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Matthew 5, 7 tells us it this way. It says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Well, what about the people that aren't merciful? Hey, those people that you write off because they don't fit into your mold of what's valuable, be careful. When we neglect the poor and we don't show attention to the people that Jesus would be paying attention to, when we avoid the hurting because we don't want to get involved, we need to be careful. Now, these verses are less of a threat and more of a reminder of what the gospel is all about. Do you remember and do you understand the mercy that you have been shown? If you really understood that you and I were sick and deplorable and disgusting in the eyes of God, That's where I was. That's where you were without Jesus Christ. If we would remember that and constantly dwell on who we are without God, it would change how we treated people. God knew every secret and selfish and wicked thought that has ever crossed your mind. He knew about the things that that you've done that no one else would ever find out. And God didn't avoid you because of those things. God didn't run away. He didn't judge you as less valuable. 
He doesn't discount your worth because of all those gross things that are in your past that you would never want to talk about. And if you had to stand here in front of a camera and spill those things, then you would live in shame for the rest of your life that people found out. God knows those things. And he didn't run away. Instead, he ran right towards us. And he says, look, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you trust him, all that stuff's wiped out. Though your, skin, uh, though your sins be as scarlet, now they're white as snow. And there's no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus. You don't have to live in shame. You don't have to live in guilt. You don't have to live in any of that, regardless of what's in your past. And God is commanding us, and James is reminding us here, God's saying, that's what I did for you. Go and do that for other people. Go and do that for someone else. Show mercy like I have shown you mercy. God didn't avoid you. He goes after us and he rescues us and he sends his only son to die for us. How terrible is it for us to judge people and to avoid them? How terrible is it of us to avoid people Or to say that these people are worth my time and these people aren't. How terrible is it of us to ignore the people around us that God has made and formed. Praise God that Jesus didn't treat us like we treat people. Because people that have been shown mercy should be merciful. In this past year, we've seen some Christians uh, show who they really care about, right? We've seen some Christians that aren't mercy showers. If you disagree with me politically, then I hate you. If you have different ideas about this thing over here, then you're dead to me. But people that remember the mercy that has been shown to them will be mercy showers. God, help us to live a life that reflects the gospel to this dark and dying and lost world. God didn't show favoritism. And the last thing we should be doing is looking for the people that matter, the people that are just like me, the respectable type of people, the right kind of people. Instead, God, help me to treat others like I would want to be treated. Help me to seek people out that have nothing to offer me, people that have different ideas than me. And let me just love them like crazy, like God loves me, because that's what the gospel is. We show mercy because if we were in their their shoes, we would want mercy. We show mercy because we would want mercy, and that's loving your neighbor as yourself. So let's purge our hearts of partiality. And whatever that segment of people that you have written off as lost souls and lost causes, hey, why don't you erase those lines in between? The good people and the bad people. And why don't you treat them like Jesus treated us? 
He said here, look, if you want mercy, you got to be a mercy shower. Let's remember the hope that the gospel brought us. Blessed are the mercy showers. Let's spend from this point on the rest of our lives showing love and attention to the people that this world has rejected. Let's love people like Jesus loves us. Every head's bowed and every eye's closed. There in your house, as a family. We just got the one-two punch to our souls, right? Because we all live here. Now, your people that you have written off is different than the people that I've written off, but we all have those lines that we've drawn around people and grouped them into the people that are not worth our time. Maybe it's because of their success or their power or their wealth. Maybe it's because of the ideas that they have. Regardless, every soul is a soul that Jesus loved enough to die for. Let's be mercy showers. That's okay to say I disagree. We're not talking about saying that everybody's ideas are the same because that's false. There is truth. Truth is a real thing, but we must be mercy showers to those that believe the lies. Let's pray and ask God to change us fundamentally today forever. Help us to be a church that is known as mercy showers. Help me to be a person. Help you in your everyday life to be a person that gives people chance after chance after chance after chance. How many times? The disciples asked Jesus that 70 times seven. That's how many times. Jesus, we love you, God. Help us to be a mercy shower like you are a mercy shower. Help us to remember every day. Help us to dwell on the gospel that I am desperately wicked, but I am unbelievably loved. Tattoo that on our hearts, God. God, I pray for every person that's listening that you would change us. Help us to be doers and not just hearers. Help us to begin to come, uh, become up with a plan to how to change these things in our lives. Pray for the one that might be listening, God, that it does not know you. God, I pray today that they would reach out to me, either in the, on Facebook or through email. If they don't know you today, they don't uh, know that they are a child of God, know where they're going in the next life. God, I pray they have the boldness and the courage to reach out to me today. God, we love you. God, help us to be mercy showers. Help us as we continue to, to praise you. In your name we pray.